Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. In uh, my years of following Jesus, there, there have been times where I haven't had a, a big interest in reading my Bible. There been times when I just I did not feel like praying. There were times where I, I didn't even sometimes feel like showing up on a Sunday morning, but kind of you got that discipline, you kind of go after that. But where have you found yourself? Have there been times in, in your life that maybe you didn't really feel like reading your Bible or, or praying or you know, journaling? Maybe that's something you do as well. I would imagine if you've followed Jesus for any length of time, there, there probably have been those times. But it then kind of begs the question, well, why do we do that? Why do we read our Bible? Why do we come and gather on a Sunday morning? You know, why is there such value in, in showing up to be able to have this time where we sing together and look at God's word together? Why do we do those things? And there's actually reasons for that. And so what I want to do today as we continue our, our Better Together series is take a look at some passages of scripture that help us better understand why it's important we do those kinds of things, what we would call spiritual disciplines. There's a reason for them. So if you have your Bible, hey, I hope you do. We're going to be in Luke chapter 3 today. I'm going to kind of jump through some verses, so I won't read uh, straight through a passage, so you can try to stay with me as I do that. But Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 21, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word today. And here we have some encounters. What I want you to see is, is the verses I'm going to grab a hold of is some encounters of Jesus with the Holy Spirit, because that's what we want to look at today. In Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, so this is after his baptism, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And I'm going to jump ahead to verse 13 in chapter 4. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through the whole surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. These are the very words of God. I invite you to be seated this morning. So a couple of weeks ago, we left off in our Better Together series with a message on Jesus and death. We learned that we must live a fully alive life in order to not be afraid of death. And we discover that we live fully alive I want you to, there's kind of a lot in the sentence, but here's how we do it. By developing our character, our Christ-like character, identifying our life purpose or calling, which restores the relational intimacy and life influence we lost in the Garden of Eden. There's a lot in that sentence. I want you to hear that again. We live a fully alive life by developing our character and identifying our calling which restores the relational intimacy and life influence that we lost in the Garden of Eden. That's how we do it. And both of these things, developing our character and living out our life calling, they both happen with the Holy Spirit. You cannot become like Jesus. You cannot receive the gifts that, that only the Holy Spirit can give without the Holy Spirit. 
So that's why this message is all about how do we achieve that? How do we partner with the work that the Holy Spirit's already doing? Look, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, that's an awesome thing. And like you've got access to some pretty incredible power. But I do wonder, are we accessing that? So that's what I want to talk a bit about today. So today what we want to do is we want to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus so that we can see how the Holy Spirit operates in our lives as well. Because here's what happened. After Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he spends 40 days with the disciples, but he ascends. And one of the things that he does upon that ascension, he says, I must go so the Holy Spirit can come. He sends us the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do is look at, well, what did the Holy Spirit do for Jesus? Because it's the same Spirit we have access to today for us. And so there are some reasons for that in terms of how we can live like Jesus and look like him. And the first is that we can live like Jesus because he's not only God, but he was man. It's important for us to understand that Jesus is not only our model in the things he taught and did, he's our model in the way in which he lived. He's our model that way. Outside of time and space, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they coexist equally. We know this. We call this the doctrine of the Trinity. But when God himself enters time and space and creation and salvation, the unity of the Trinity never changes, but the persons take on different roles. Yet Jesus' dwelling among us in flesh, it did not diminish his glory or his sonship. It's important we understand these things today. Here's what we read in John chapter 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This phrase, the word became flesh, it summarizes what Paul writes the believers in Philippi about when he says, Christ Jesus, so this is in Philippians chapter 2, so the word became flesh, this is what John writes about, then Paul says, and here's what that means. Now Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of of men. So these verses describe the way the Son of God transformed himself into one of us, never ceasing to be God, but setting aside his privilege and power as God to fully take on the limitations of being truly human. Have we thought about that? Jesus became flesh, and he's now physically resurrected, and in that state we will meet him face to face and spend eternity with him. Isn't that interesting? We'll see Jesus in that resurrected state. That's how we will encounter him. Now, this phrase, emptied himself, it comes from the Greek word, kenosis. And the church actually held two councils to determine the exact meaning and implications of this term. So guess what? That term's really important. If you're going to hold two, like, huge church meetings, it's pretty important. And here's what they decided on in the Council of Nicaea in 325. They settled the full deity of Jesus Christ. He was fully God. But then about 100 years later in the Council of Chalcedon in 451, they established the full humanity of Christ. He is fully man. Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. And we need to understand how those two things work together if we understand the role of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. Now let's examine these verses to see how this is true. So Paul writes, though he was in the form of God. So Paul starts with Christ's pre-existence before the manger. He was the form, the very nature of God himself, which means Jesus was God. Jesus is God. He's not like God. 
He was and is and always will be God. We know this. Jesus of Nazareth, born more than 2,000 years ago, who walked this earth for 33 years, was the creator God in the flesh. John 1.3 and Colossians 1.16, they both emphasize the role of Jesus in the agent of creation. And then Paul writes, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So this phrase tells us that Jesus, though he was fully God, he chose not to grasp to be selfish, or to hold on to the reality of who he was. Jesus chose to pour himself out, to be humble, to be submissive. He didn't stop being God or become something other than God. He simply chose not to seize or take advantage of what was his by divine nature. The message paraphrase of this verse, I want you to hear this. This is a a good summary. Jesus had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. That's a pretty good description. God took on flesh the incarnation we celebrate at Christmas, and then he lived a perfect life, died a death we all deserved, and ultimately overcame the grave. In Jesus' life, as we see that he engaged in life that way, it was one of humility. So this is how he could serve as the perfect sacrifice for all of humanity, This is how he can understand our struggles. This is how he's not only our savior and Lord, but also our role model. He's the perfect Christian. So we can follow him that way. We can live like Jesus because he's not only God, but he's also man, which helps us understand that we can live like Jesus with the Holy Spirit. So here we go. We can live like Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Once you understand he's fully God, but fully man, that he didn't grab those divine attributes, now we can take a look at how he did what he did. Because at the heart and start of Jesus' ministry life was his baptisms at the hands of John. This is what we open with this morning from our passage in in Luke chapter 3 and 4. And there were three reasons why Jesus wanted to be baptized. Number one, Jesus intended to identify himself with John's message and the movement it was created, this kingdom of God movement. We talked about this. This is one of the first messages in this series. So Jesus says, I want to identify with this movement that John is inaugurating, that he's the forerunner, so I want to be baptized by John. Second thing is, is Jesus wanted to be connected to us. He wanted to show solidarity with us who had been separated from him, so he wants to show that he's with us. And then the third thing is, is Jesus' baptism shows us how he made the continual choice to empty himself and live a life of limitations. He did this in order to show us how we can truly follow in his footsteps and rely on the power he relied on every moment of every day. We need to get to the place where we actually believe Jesus when he said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. When are we going to believe that verse? We won't believe this if we harbor a secret assumption that Jesus was able to do everything he did simply because he was God. It's hard to believe that verse if that's what we hold to. At the baptism of Jesus, we find the Spirit descends in order to confirm Jesus' identity as the Son of God, but also to empower him. He came to confirm and empower. The Holy Spirit does the same thing for us. Jesus' reliance on his Father, it was real. It wasn't pretended. Him emptying left him in our same position of need for God's power and direction. 
The writer of Hebrews, he explained this when he writes, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect tempted as we are yet without sin. So we understand Jesus really was humble in the way he lived. Think about it. Before the baptism of Jesus, he never healed, never cast out demons, or taught in public. Didn't do any of those things. Only once at age 12 did he speak at the temple, but no one followed after him. It was only after the Holy Spirit came on him at his baptism that his ministry began. The third person of the Trinity empowered Jesus, who was sent by the Father, Without the power of the Spirit, Jesus, out of choice alone, would not have been able to minister in supernatural ways. In this way, he did not grasp the power or privilege of his deity. He did only what the Father wanted by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see this all throughout Scripture. Jesus laid aside the use of his divinity, ministering as a human being in the power of the Holy Spirit while he was on earth. He did nothing to indicate to the world, including the people of his hometown, Nazareth, that he was, in fact, God incarnate until after his baptism. Isn't that crazy to think? For 33, or for 30 years, he's living in this hometown. People are walking by him with no understanding of who he really is. But then, empowered by the Spirit, now he can start to reveal who he is. Functioning as a human being under the leading of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, he began to set people free. We sang about that this morning. He began to set people free from captivity to the enemy as evidenced by healing sickness, lameness, blindness, demonization, and other things. That's what Jesus came to do, but again, powered by the Spirit. Jesus did all this to demonstrate God's love to teach us what God and the Christian life are all about and to free people from the devil. That's what he did. Jesus showed us how we should go about our lives as participants in the kingdom of God movement that's changing our world. He really is our role model. He gave us the same Holy Spirit that empowered him, saying that whoever has faith in him will do the same things and more. Understanding Jesus, his relationship with the Holy Spirit, and their ongoing relationship with us, this is the key for spiritual power in our lives. If we understand Jesus and how the Holy Spirit worked through him, how Jesus received instructions from the Father, we can understand the kind of life that we can live too. When Luke writes, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit of the Galilee, he makes it clear Jesus would not use his own power to carry out his own plans. Everything Jesus said and he did was surrender to the Father. Here's what John records Jesus saying. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. It's because of this verse I've often said from this platform, look, we don't try to do what we want to do and ask God to bless it. No, no, no. We join Jesus in the work he's already doing. We do what the Father's already doing. That's what Jesus is talking about, and that's what we should be doing too. And he did this work under the power of the Holy Spirit. So he listened to the Father, was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work. Guess what? We can listen to the Father. We are empowered by the Spirit to operate and do what Jesus did. That blows my mind sometimes. So if Jesus didn't teach or cast out demons or heal because he was God, but he did these amazing things under the Holy Spirit's power and direction, what does that mean for us today? This is why I love Romans chapter 8. Because Paul makes it clear, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So here's what this verse means, in case you're having a hard time understanding that. The same spirit that was in Jesus lives in you. Man, that should excite you this morning. Look at his life and you can see, man, am I leaning into the power that he had access to, that I apparently have access to. And if I'm honest with myself, I don't every day. But you know what? My conviction is, God, help me understand that better. Help me lean into your spirit more. Help me live like you, God. The mature fruit of the Spirit in Jesus' life and his use of the gifts of the Spirit are how he accomplished what God the Father wanted. I want to say that again. The mature fruit of the Spirit in Jesus' life, his character, and his use of the gifts of the Spirit, that's how he did what he did. And then Paul writes about these things, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and how that's in us. What are we doing with that? The Holy Spirit provided what he needed to carry out the Father's purposes on earth for Jesus, which means if we have the same indwelling Holy Spirit Jesus had, if we collectively have the spiritual gifts he used, together we can do what Jesus did. Like this to me is the ultimate better together. We are the body of Christ, Scripture says. And this is what it's talking about. Collectively, we can do what Jesus did. Not one of us alone. There's no, we're, we're not Jesus by ourselves, but collectively, we have access to that same Holy Spirit power. Yes. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we evaluated ourselves according to the, the fruit of the Spirit. I asked you to rate yourself from one to 10 on, on love. You know, where, where do you fall? From one to 10 on joy and one to 10 on peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And, and when we average those numbers, you know, I don't know where you find yourself. Maybe you're four, maybe you're five, maybe you know, you've had a good week, you're seven. So I want to qualify to say Jesus was a perfect 10, okay? So we know that. But we also know Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect like my Father's perfect. So I think he's encouraging us to say, look, lean into, partner with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and watch what I can do in you. Watch what I can do. Because then we also evaluate our spiritual gifts. You know, do we know what our spiritual gifts are? Pastor, teacher, evangelist apostolic or prophetic functions, gifts of hospitality and giving and serving and leading. There's a multitude of those. And we do know this. So as I talk about the same spirit that empowered Jesus and empowers us, we do need to qualify that obviously Jesus was perfect. He was a perfect 10 on the character chart. He was the perfect pastor, the perfect evangelist, the perfect apostle. But he, in that way, is our role model. If we want to know what an evangelist looked like, look at Jesus' life. If you have the gift of evangelism, follow in the footsteps of Jesus and the way he lived that out. We have that too. Jesus is our Savior and Lord, the second person of the Trinity, who's worthy of all of our worship and obedience, but he's also our role model. Each one of us, so here's what I want to challenge us with today, each one of us can grow in character, and we can identify and develop our spiritual gifts and collectively accomplish more than what Jesus did alone. And I can say that because Scripture says it. I can say that because Jesus said that. So these are things we can do. And it's not on our own strength. It's because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Tori talked about that in the song that we sang. If the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, we have access to a power that shapes our character and helps manifest God's gifts in our life. Everything that Jesus did in his earthly life and ministry, we are able to do collectively as his representatives on earth. That's powerful. We are called into his life by developing the fruit of the Spirit, our character, and together using the gifts of the Spirit that he provides. And how does this happen? 
It's all through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an add-on to our spiritual life. He's the driving force behind everything God wants to accomplish in us and through us. Holy Spirit's not an add-on. He's doing it. Without him, we're lost. Everyone is given the Holy Spirit when we become followers of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And here's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Paul writes in Corinthians, we are God's temple. God lives in us. He writes the same believers in a second letter, telling them the Holy Spirit is actively at work in us, making us more in the image of Christ. Paul then writes the Ephesians, and he says that we are spiritually marked or sealed by the Holy Spirit. I love that. We find in the New Testament book of John, the Holy Spirit, he lives in us, he guides us, and he convicts us of things that are not in alignment with God in our lives. The Holy Spirit, he helps us, he comforts us, he teaches us, he reminds us of Jesus' words, he leads us in all truth, he speaks to us and shows us what's to come. That's a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. Now next week I'm going to talk more about Jesus and spiritual gifts because it's kind of its own separate message to more fully explain how we're equipped by God to make an impact in the world in which we live including through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But for right now, I want us to focus on how do we develop that Christ-like character that the Holy Spirit's working in us. And so then the question is, are you partnering with the Holy Spirit in that work? Because Paul writes the believers in Philippi, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the Holy Spirit's already working, but there is something we can do to begin to work that out with him. And that's what I want to encourage us with today. How do we do that? Because we're encouraged to work with the Holy Spirit so that Jesus can be formed in us and we can accomplish the good works he's prepared for us. So we can live like Jesus with the Holy Spirit and we can be like Jesus through spiritual disciplines. So this is the application today. I want us to understand we can live like Jesus because of the Holy Spirit, but now I want us to understand we can be like him. So how do we work out our own salvation that Paul writes about? How do we partner with the Holy Spirit as he matures the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? The answer is through something we call spiritual disciplines. So this is the answer to the question I open with. This is why we read scripture, we journal and pray. This is why we live simply and serve others. This is why we gather on a Sunday morning, take communion and sing songs together. Because we need to ask God to produce in us the same character that Jesus had, which is the fruit of the Spirit. But I want us to be clear. The goal is not you and I engaging in spiritual disciplines. The goal is you and I looking like Jesus. Are you hearing me on that this morning? We don't just read the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible. We don't just sing songs for the sake of singing songs. We do those things so that we have the outcome of Jesus growing out of us. But maybe you're asking, what are spiritual disciplines? That's that's a good question. I want to touch on a few of those this morning. But if you want a fuller understanding, there's several books on those. Richard Foster's Celebration of Disciplines, it's a good one. If you've not read that, it might be something worth picking up to read through. If you have a copy, if you've read it, maybe reread it. To better understand what we can do to partner with the Holy Spirit so that Jesus can be shaped in us. And Foster points out three different types of disciplines. Inward disciplines, outward disciplines, and corporate disciplines. Those are a pretty good heading. So inward disciplines would include things like Bible reading. So I would ask, what kind of Bible reading plan are you on? If you don't have one, I encourage you to download the Read Scripture app and start reading that daily Bible reading 
uh, tomorrow. Do it this afternoon. Uh, another Bible reading app called YouVersion. All kinds of reading plans available on there. Now, you could order a chronological Bible online and start reading through it. It really doesn't matter what plan you're following. It just matters that you're reading God's Word. And as you read the Bible, I would say it is helpful to journal, which is another inward discipline. Uh, a real simple way to do that is something called SOAP, S-O-A-P. So S, what you do. So if you read a chapter a day, if that's what you're doing, your Bible reading plan, you find one scripture verse and you write that out. Okay, I'm going to focus on this one today. That's S. And then application. How could you, uh, uh, right, let me start with O, observation. So what could you believe out of that verse? What does that verse share with you? And then A, here's the application I'm going to make to my life. And then pray and ask the Lord to apply that. And I will say this, it's the application part that's probably the most important. If you're simply reading it to do nothing with it, it's not helping you grow and become like Christ. But as you start to apply it to your life, you'll start to change. That's why journaling is, is helpful. So you can read your Bible. That's an inward discipline. Journaling is another one. And, and obviously another one that you could do is pray. Pray is another great inward discipline. And there's a, a couple of different ways that you can pray. And uh, you could use acronym PRAY. P stands for praise, that you could praise uh, God for, for all of creation. Just praise him for his work in your life. R is that you could repent to say, you know what, Jesus, here's some things I'm really struggling with. I want to turn and no longer live that way. A, you could ask, what are some things that, that are going on in your life that you need to ask God about? And then why is you yield? You surrender to whatever the Lord was speaking to your heart. It's a simple way to pray. So then inward disciplines, Bible reading, journaling, prayer, those are the good ones. There's other ones too. A couple of outward disciplines would be learning to live simply or serving others. Living simply could be uh, buying something for its usefulness rather than for its status. I think sometimes we do that. Is it useful or are you just buying it because of the name brand on it? Living simply could also include selling things or giving things away. Look, the more you own, the more it owns you. It really does. The less you own, the less you have to concern yourself with it. Living simply is a powerful spiritual discipline. Another outward discipline is serving others. You can find a way to serve your neighbors. The grass is going to start growing, right? Maybe uh, an elderly neighbor needs somebody to help with uh, mowing their lawn. Could you help serve a neighbor that way? Serving is a great spiritual discipline, an outward discipline. And then the, the third kind are corporate disciplines. Things like gathering together like we're doing this morning. Singing and, and for prayer and for Bible teaching. Another corporate discipline would be accountability. This is a big one. If you're going through a Bible reading plan, and version is actually great for this, that you can actually have friends join you in that Bible reading plan, and you can have somebody in your group saying, well, what did you do with that scripture today? That's a great way to do it, because it's helping you be held accountable to what you want to do, to what, the way you want to change. So that's a really powerful thing. I was listening to a podcast about a month ago, and uh, one of the guys on the podcast, he mentioned that before he abides before he gets into his Bible reading in the day. He just kind of prays a simple prayer. He says, Jesus, I'm here to be present in your presence, to surrender to your spirit for the benefit of my community. I think that's a wonderful prayer. It's, it's a good summary of what we do, because we're not just reading the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible, we're reading the Bible so that we can be changed. The spirit changes us for the benefit of my family, my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers. So I want you to look at spiritual disciplines in light of that. The inputs are not really the point in terms of what we're doing, the discipline itself. It's the outcomes is what we're going after. And I will say this, and then the impact that comes because of those outcomes. That's what we're going after. I want to talk more about spiritual gifts next week, but I want us to focus on character today. 
you can partner with the Holy Spirit to develop Christ-like character. How could you do that this week? I'd encourage you, take time this afternoon, just evaluate your week and what are some spiritual disciplines you could add to your life that will help you to form that Christ-like character that God has for you. Because spiritual disciplines, they're a guaranteed source of transformation. Why? It's not because of the spiritual disciplines themselves, but because the Holy Spirit is at work to form Christ in you. That's why. We can be like Jesus by partnering with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, forming Christ-like character that benefits our community. Isn't that amazing? Jesus can be shaped in you, but we do have to put some effort in to see that happen. And I wonder, how could your home life change if you started to engage in spiritual disciplines for the purpose of becoming more like Jesus? How could your marriage be different if you would pray and become more like Christ for the benefit of your marriage? How could that look different? How might your parenting be more positive? Partner with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life by making spiritual disciplines a priority. This is part of how we enter into the fully alive life that Jesus offers, which I hope to fully unpack next week. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And I really do want you to consider this week, what are some spiritual disciplines you can engage in? Maybe you've not been reading your Bible, and I'd encourage you to do it. You know, a, a couple of ways that I've uh, noticed in terms of, of relating to spiritual disciplines, there's kind of two entry points. There's one of desperation. People get to the place where they realize, I'm not doing well, and I need something different. So they'll enter in because of desperation. But others are by way of discipline, just to say, you know what? I know this is good for me. I know that I can work with the Holy Spirit in this, partner with the Holy Spirit, and so then they just create the discipline. But here's what happens out of desperation and discipline. It eventually becomes a delight. So it's discipline that becomes a desire, like you look forward to waking up or, or reading before you go to bed, whenever that time is for you, and then it becomes a delight. So whatever your entry point is this morning, desperation or discipline, that's okay. I want to tell you it becomes a desire and a delight. As Jesus is at work in you, the Holy Spirit's at work in you, helping you become more and more like Jesus. As we close this morning, maybe you're here today and, and you realize things aren't going well in your life, and part of that is because the Holy Spirit's not at work in your life because you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. But today you would say, I want to be different. I need God at work in my life. What I'm doing isn't working. So if that's you today, decide to follow Jesus. That invitation is always open. So with every head bowed in this room today, my question would be, who here today says, I need to follow Jesus. I need the work of the Holy Spirit in my life so that I can become more like him? Who here today would say, that's me? That's me. If you're watching online this morning, you can even make a comment there, and we've got Tim who will catch that request and say, I want to make that decision to follow Jesus. Who here today would say that's me? Over here in the back, anybody else? Jesus, we just thank you that when you ascended, you sent your Holy Spirit. So God, I pray that we would not take that for granted. Lord, as Paul instructs us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, that it is you that's at work in us. I pray, Jesus, we would partner with you in that work. God, I pray for those that raise their hand or maybe commented on online today. I just pray, Jesus, as they commit their lives to you, that your Holy Spirit flood their soul today. That they would recognize there's a power that they have access to they've never had before, a power to help them to live that fully alive life that you offer us.
So God, today I, I pray that if those decisions are made, I, I pray that they don't just make it a one-time decision, but Lord, that they journey with you for a lifetime, that they'll talk with somebody online or, or come and meet with a pastor or myself, Shelly, or somebody else today to be able to say, and here's where we go from here, that we, we want to be with you in community on that journey. And then God, I do pray for each and every one in this room. If they've made that decision to follow you last week, last year, or 20 years ago, I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to, to really have a desperation for more of you in our lives. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit make us desperate for you. And Lord, then I pray that we would enter into these spaces where we can encounter you, a space like we have here this morning, that people would show up on a Sunday, either in person or online, and, and encounter you as we sing, as we pray, as we look at your word. God, I pray that people encounter you through the week as they spend time in your word, as they spend time in prayer, as they begin to be transformed by your word as they apply it to their lives. Jesus, help us to be the light that you've called us to be. Lord, we, we do this not unto ourselves, but Father, we do it for the benefit of our community, for greater Lafayette. Jesus, because people need to see you. Lord, people are hurting today, and without you, I'm not sure how things get better. So God, I pray that you'd help us to be that witness that you've called us to be. And that starts by partnering with you in the work that you're doing in our life. So Lord, as we close in song this morning, I pray that we engage in that song, Lord, to meet with you, to be changed by you. Lord, all for the sake of the community in which we live. For your name we pray. Amen.